glad you're here this morning. Thanks for being here. If you're watching live stream or Facebook live, so glad you're with us this morning. We have an awesome time of worship planned, so please stand up with us. And we're going to get in his presence right away. The best place to be, amen?
Amen. Amen. Oh, he's worthy of our praise. I love this church. I love you all. I'm so glad that we're here together today. And COVID doesn't win. Amen. Because we still get to be together.
Amen. Amen. Again, we're just so grateful that you're here this morning. And I just want to say uh, this church is faithful. This church has been amazing and through really tough times. And I just want to remind us that it's such a good thing to give and that we have some ways here at Southwoods to give. Whether you're watching live stream or Facebook live or you're here, you can uh, mail something in. You can uh, do it online. You can give your offering in a variety of ways. Um, so please make sure you're continuing to give into God's great work here at Southwoods. We're so grateful um, that God is moving in this place. And we're grateful for you because you are a gigantic part of it. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Turn it 
with the battle that we're about to face. Maybe that's what we need to do when the enemy whispers in our ear, you can't do this, you can't have that, you're never going to get healed, you don't have the money coming in that you need. Be bold like David, get in his face. That's what I would challenge you to do this morning. This is going to be our time of communion. Say thank you to God for his faithfulness, his faithfulness to put Jesus on the cross. David didn't even have Jesus on the cross when this all started, but we do. We know the end of the story. Let's have have the Lord's Supper together. Bye. 
ask if you would, let's just bow our heads together, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God, that you are with us all the time, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You've promised that in scripture. You've demonstrated that in our lives. Sometimes we see it and recognize it on as it's happening. Sometimes we miss you in the moment and see it after the fact, but we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you care about us. So grateful. Now this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that your spirit will give us strength. We need strength from you. People don't need fine sounding thoughts from me. They need words from you. And so our request, Father, is that you in your mercy and in your faithfulness will speak to us as we look at scripture and the life of your servants there together. It's in Jesus' name that we lift this prayer. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen, amen. amen. Well, it's good morning. Good morning, Southwoods. It's great to be with you this morning. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you wake up after it and you just think to yourself, whoa. What just happened? You know, maybe you wake up and it's almost like a sweat and you're just, your, your heart's racing and you're thinking, what was that about? You know, if you look in Scripture, throughout Scripture, um, a lot of people have had dreams like that in Scripture. And many of us have had those kind of experiences before. If you look at Scripture, Pharaoh in Egypt had a dream like that. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Pilate's wife uh, had a dream like that. Men of God in uh, Scripture routinely had dreams of that sort. And it's interesting, God often revealed the meaning of those kinds of dreams, in particular to those who were walking with him. And one of the individuals who was most gifted of the, like this was a gentleman named Joseph. Joseph. And we're going to be talking about Joseph this morning. He was an amazing man of God, an amazing person of faith. And as we look at the life of Joseph, some of you may be familiar with him, and uh, this will be sort of a refresh, a reminder to you of who he is and just how God worked in his life. And, and hear me, if he can work in Joseph's life in this way, he can work in your life this way. And so you need to remember these things. But some of you, you're not familiar with Joseph. You've maybe heard his name, but you don't really know his story much. And this morning, what I want to do is I just want to want to walk you through his life a little bit, because every one of us can learn some important lessons about faith-filled living from Joseph. His story could span, we could span multiple weeks, and so I just give you a fair warning, I'm going to cover a lot of territory quick because we're compressing it into one week today. So, uh, so if you want to read the whole story, let me just encourage you, write this down, Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. That's what you want to read. But this morning we're going to cover about Genesis 37 through Genesis 41-ish maybe 42-ish, uh, succinctly, okay? So let me just uh, walk you through this. If you'll listen close and listen fast, I think you'll be encouraged, inspired. I think it'll fill you with hope, with faith, because that's just the kind of guy Joseph was and I think still is because he's alive in the presence of our God right now. So this is what the scriptures tell us. In Genesis 37, it says that this is the account, it begins verse 2, of Joseph and his family. And when Joseph was 17 years old, think about that, he was a 17-year-old, okay? Just gotten his driver's license, okay? Just, a little, just had a little bit. Uh, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Let's pause right there, take a time out for a moment. And I just want you to think carefully about what the scripture just told us. Joseph is 17 and he's working for his older brothers, his half brothers. OK, right. So who's paying his salary? Who's, who's he working for? His brothers, right? 
But what's he doing? He sees things they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, and who's he go talk to? Dad. Now, here's the big deal. Dad is not only dad, but dad owns all the flocks. So he's boss, big boss, and dad. So you got a family-run business here is kind of the scenario. It's kind of a complicated relational dynamic that's just emerging right here from the beginning. And I just want you to think about this. How does it go over for you if you were to go over your boss to his boss about something that was going on there? Does that endear you to them? No. And it doesn't in a family-run business like this either. We go on in verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph. Now think about this. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Joseph had a special gift made for Joseph. Now, all the brothers, did he get a gift for all of them? No, he made a gift for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Some of the texts say a, a multicolored robe, a robe of many colors it, it, it uses in a lot of the texts. But his brothers, verse 4 says, hated Joseph because their father loved him more than all the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now let's just pause right here again. Now, brothers and sisters love it when dad or mom shows preferential treatment to one of the others, right? You know how it is. It's like if you're, if you're the one getting the preferential treatment, sometimes you maybe like it and you don't even notice it's going on. It's just you're oblivious to it. But if you're on the observing end as opposed to the receiving end of that, that doesn't always go so well, does it? particularly when you're young. You know, we all get older and you sort of understand the way this dynamic works, but when you're younger, you do not get it. Uh, we were laughing uh, this, a week ago. Uh, comedian John Christ kind of gives us a glimpse into probably what was going through Joseph's mind at this point because he was the naive one receiving the preferential treatment, probably clueless to what was going on, and uh, we got permission from him to use this off his Instagram page. So, uh, so just watch this little clip of Joseph and his coat of many colors. Hey everybody, uh, it's Joseph. I just wanted to pop on here super quick. Uh, everybody's been asking about this coat. Obviously, uh, it has many colors. It's perfect for, you know, evenings, uh, events, you know, making your brothers jealous. Uh, obviously, uh, dads, this is a great gift for uh, your sons if you obviously prefer them uh, over your other sons. But like, anyway, super casual. I just want to hop on here real quick. My brothers are, are like out in the field. They said they had like a, a surprise for me or a gift or something, so I got to go. But just want to let you guys know this. Just like lots of people have been asking him about his coats, lots of people have been writing in and emailing asking about my little sweaters. And so if you'd like to, if you'd like to know more about, I mean, or just pastors at southwoods.org, just slammed, just slammed, asking about my, my sweaters. But no, that's, anyway. Nobody's asking about my sweaters. Other than my wife, who wonders why I'm still wearing them. But that's another matter. Um, but I, I really think, I really think Joseph had no clue. I, I really think he was just 17 and naive. And, uh, and yet the passage goes on to tell us in verse 5 that one night Joseph had a dream because he doesn't stop. I mean, if he understood, he had half a clue, he would have stopped at this point. But look what he does. Verse 5, one night uh, Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Isn't that funny? That's, that's, this is, this is where, how Joseph is telling the story, you know. His brothers responded, 
So you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. And you see, it's just like, this is like, stop, stop, please stop. But he didn't. Again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. The scriptures say this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, the text says, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Well, not long after this, if you know the story, those of you who are familiar with it, if you're not, essentially what happens is that uh, Joseph, or Jacob sent Joseph to check out how his brothers were doing a few, uh, few weeks later and uh, wondering about the flocks of sheep and how all was going. They were, they were several miles away. And many of you will remember how Joseph was greeted by his brothers. His brothers threw him into a pit. His brothers uh, sold him to a group of slave traders that were headed to Egypt. Uh, his brothers killed an animal slimed the coat of many colors and the blood from the animal, carried it home to dad and lied about his death. And then they spent the next decade or so happily forgetting all about him, or at least trying to. That's what they did. In the years that followed, Joseph ended up in Egypt. He became the slave of Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's personal bodyguard. He distinguished himself as a wise steward and a frugal manager of Potiphar's entire estate. And what happened is it's just like he was so responsible, so capable, so gifted. God blessed him and Potiphar because of him so much that before you know it, Potiphar just kept giving him more and more responsibility. And the text actually says that it reached a point where all that Potiphar concerned himself with was what he was going to eat for dinner. That's literally all he worried about. Otherwise, he just said, what next, Joseph? That's what he did and of course tended to, to Pharaoh, the king. All was good for Joseph in that moment until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Joseph refused. Nobody refused Potiphar's wife. This was like a sitcom, I mean, the way the whole thing unfolded. So what she do? She accuses him of attempted rape because he wouldn't go along with her plans. And she was embarrassed about this, shamed by it. And when Potiphar came home, she screamed to him all the things that Joseph had supposedly done. And Joseph, a slave, had no say, no defense, and ends up being thrown into an Egyptian prison to rot and die. So he goes from this pinnacle of oversight and leadership in Potiphar's house to prison to rot and die, and was fortunate that he wasn't executed because of what took place. While he was in prison, if you read the biblical text, Joseph distinguished himself yet again. He didn't sit and sulk. He, he distinguished himself there. He was uh, uh, a man of integrity. He was a man of incredible character, amazing work ethic. And before you know it, and he's, here he is in prison, and guess what? He goes from prisoner to where the warden puts him in charge of the prison. This was one of the first instances where the inmates were running the prison, okay? Literally happening here. And if you read the text, one day while Joseph was in prison, the uh, personal cupbearer of Pharaoh 
was put there because Pharaoh was mad at him. He had a dream. Joseph interpreted his dream. What he said came true, and Joseph was hoping against hope that this was his ticket out of jail. He was going to get a pardon from Pharaoh. That's what he was hoping would happen. Two years pass. No word, no word. And so finally, one day, one day, Joseph found himself before Pharaoh, not interpreting the cupbearer's dream, but interpreting a dream of Pharaoh, a dream that he'd had that no one in the land could interpret. And so in desperation, they go get a slave out of the dungeon who somebody, the cupbearer, had had uh, interpreted a dream, thought, well, maybe, I mean, what do we got to lose? Let's bring him in. That's where we pick up in Genesis 41. Verses 15 and following, the scripture says this, that Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to his humility as Joseph responds. He said, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River and I saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing on the marsh grass. But then I saw seven sick-looking cows, scrawny and thin, come up after them. And I've never seen such sorry-looking animals in all the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows. But afterward, you wouldn't have known it, for they were still as thin and scrawny as before, and then I woke up, and then I fell asleep again, and I had another dream, and this time I saw seven heads of grain, full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And then seven more heads of grain appeared, but, but these were blighted and shriveled and withered by the east wind, and the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. And I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. And Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. And the seven thin scrawny cows that came uh, up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed it to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As we're having two similar dreams... It means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of, of Egypt. And then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Let me just pause right here. This is called taxation. Okay, So it's a, a 20, uh, one-fifth, 20%. Okay. So take, a, take up a new 20% tax here. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it there so that it will be food in the cities. And that way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Scriptures say Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. 
because no ruler has ever heard of a taxation he didn't like. <laughs> nah, that's not really true. But, Joseph, but Joseph's suggestions were, were well received and he, he liked them and Pharaoh thought to himself, who better to put in charge of the land than the person who God gave all of the understanding of this to? So he appointed Joseph to be second in command, only to him alone, seated upon the throne. If Joseph's story ended there, it would be amazing because literally he went from being a prisoner to being the prince. It happened in a day. I mean, it went in the snap of a finger from you know, cleaning up in the morning to standing before Pharaoh and now chains, signet rings, chariots, everybody bowing. This is immediately what began to happen to Joseph from this moment on. Amazing story. What you and I have to understand is that was just the beginning. I mean, things were just getting warmed up with Joseph if you read the biblical text at that point. Because God did a lot of other things through the life of Joseph. Read about it, Genesis 37 to chapter 50. It's amazing. It's, it's astonishing. It's, uh, it's sort of the way we all wish stories go. It's amazing. You really need to read it. It'll encourage you if you do. But let me tell you one more experience that Joseph had because this, is, this was a pivotal one, come full circle of his life story. About nine years after this moment when he was elevated to, uh, to, to power and uh, rulership as he was, second in command, the famine that Joseph had foretold became so severe, not just in Egypt, but in all the surrounding lands, that his brothers who had sold him into slavery one day found themselves standing before Joseph, and actually I would be more accurate to say kneeling in the presence of Joseph, asking for food. It was an astonishing moment. Because of his garb, because they thought he was probably dead, they had no clue. I mean, what's the likelihood of a slave becoming second in command? They had no clue who they were standing before. No clue. But if you were Joseph, what would you do in that moment? After testing their motives a little bit, here's what the Bible says Joseph did in Genesis 45, verses 1 to 8. It says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's, house, or Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? And this is a great understatement. It says, but his brothers were speechless, and they probably couldn't breathe either. They were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace 
and the governor of all Egypt. Chapter 45, verse 15, sort of goes on and says, Joseph kissed each of his brothers, wept over them, and after they, that, they began talking freely with him. There's so many things that could be said about the life of Joseph that from these passages I've read and others that I haven't read this morning, I just kind of succinctly told you about. But here's what we've got to understand, and I think it's a very important word for all of us right now in, in our lives, and that is that every one of us can learn some important lessons about faith-filled living from Joseph. Every one of us. There's not one of us that can't learn lessons from him. Lessons like this, first lesson, never give up no matter what. That's a lesson you learn from Joseph. When all the circumstances of your life turn against you, some of us think to ourselves, this is an excuse. This is, I'm, I'm just going to check out. I'm just going to give up. I'm just... No, no. The lesson of faith-filled living from Joseph is no matter what happens, never give up. God is the master of bringing good out of bad circumstances. If... We refuse to give up. We've got to refuse to give up to ever see God work in these situations. Some of us want to quit just before the miracle could happen. That's human nature. What do you think Joseph wanted to do when he was thrown into the pit, into the cistern? Probably wanted to quit. He was, he was mad. He was scared. All these things. But he didn't give up then. He's sold to slave traders. Every one of us would want to give up. What's Joseph do? Perseveres. He's slowed into slavery of the bodyguard, the personal bodyguard of Pharaoh. That was not a prestigious place in many respects. Being a slave anywhere was not necessarily a prestigious place. Probably that's the kind of place that if you don't really produce, you're out of there quick, and it can be really bad for you. What's Joseph do? He perseveres. He perseveres. He does not give up and he sees God work in his life and through his life in spite of his shortcomings. On and on we could go. Sent to prison because of false accusations. He doesn't give up. Interprets the dream of somebody and nothing happens for two years. Never give up, never give up, no matter what is what we learn from Joseph, among other things. Maybe some of us this morning need to hear. The Holy Spirit of God is sort of pinging in your heart saying, never, never, never give up. You don't want to miss out what I have in store for you. Another lesson of faith that we learn from Joseph is that do your best, no matter what. Just do your best, no matter what. Joseph had plenty of excuses for laziness, plenty of excuses for a half-hearted work ethic, plenty of excuses for just doing nothing, just sitting down and doing nothing, doing the absolute minimum to just get by. But you know what? Joseph refused to be a victim. He refused to be half-hearted in his effort. He did his best for Potiphar. He did his best for the prison warden. He did his best for Pharaoh. And in the process, what you see as he's doing, as you read the text, he was doing his best for God. Literally doing his best for God. And 
one day when his brothers show up, it all gels in his head and it clicks. It clicks what was going on. Probably this is why Scripture tells us in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, it says real succinctly, same thing. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And it says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. It's just trying to convey to us that no matter what happens, you and I need to do our best. Somebody else's best may be better than your best. It's okay. God doesn't ask you to be them. Doesn't ask me to be them. What's he asked me to do? Do my best. What he asked you to do? Do our best. It's a faith-filled way of living that Joseph modeled so, so well. We see another faithful lesson for living, and it's this one, the third one, is that we need to cling to character, to godliness, no matter what. We need to cling to character no matter what. Misfortune in life was not an excuse for sin, not an excuse for violence, not an excuse for corruption. It's not an excuse for greed because you've got it coming to you. It's not an excuse for any of the things that we as humans are inclined to make excuses for. When misfortune comes my way in life, it's an opportunity to cling to character anyway. To demonstrate that I'm walking in virtue, not because everything in my life is wonderful, but because with God's help, I'm becoming someone virtuous with the Holy Spirit's help. You see the difference? It's a faith-filled way of living. Jesus lived that way. John the Baptist lived that way. The apostles lived that way. Believers for centuries in hard situations and circumstances have lived that way. God's calling every one of us to live that way. Cling to character, cling to godliness, cling to virtue, regardless of what happens in life. Regardless if it's popular, regardless if it reaps you rewards or lands you in a dungeon. That's who we're called to be. It's faith-filled living. Joseph modeled it. Another faith-filled living lesson that we learn from Joseph, and that is that we need to forgive no matter what. We need to forgive no matter what. I mean, think about this with me. When you're betrayed by family, surely it's okay to... What did Joseph do? He forgave no matter what. And it wasn't like they just lied to him. They threw in a pit, sold him to slave traders, robbed him of his entire early years of life in slavery. But he modeled when you're betrayed by family like he was, forgive no matter what. When you're falsely accused like Joseph was, forgive no matter what. When you're forgotten by those you've helped, like Joseph was by the cupbearer, forgive no matter what. When those who've hurt you someday need you and they're groveling before you for your help, 
forgive. No matter what. Joseph is simply doing what Jesus does for all of us who need him far more than we grasp and who, if we're wise, are on our knees, humble before him, saying, Lord, forgive us. I need your help. I need your cleansing. I need your presence. I need your provision. I need you. I need you. We need to forgive like that like Jesus did, no matter what. There's so many lessons about faithful living we can learn from the life of Joseph. And I just want you to think with me this morning, which one is the Holy Spirit talking to you about this morning? Maybe he wants you to cling to, to character no matter what, or maybe he wants you to do your best, or maybe he wants you to, to decide, I will never Never, never give up. Maybe he wants you to forgive. And today's the day that you're going to do it. It doesn't mean you won't have any awkward feelings. I imagine Joseph, if you read the biblical text, read the rest of the chapters, uh, he was annoyed a few times with his brothers, even after he forgave them. In fact, as they were heading back to get his dad, he says, uh, hey, and no squabbling and quarreling among you guys as you head. He starts because he knows who they are, and he's not in denial about that. Maybe some of us, we need to forgive. It doesn't mean you have to be in denial of what happens. It just means that you've got to forgive because God's forgiving you and me a lot. He's called us to forgive others as he's forgiven us. And friends, if Joseph can do it with the Holy Spirit's help, so can you, so can I, so can we. And I can say that because the promise of Scripture, if you look at Scripture, is this over and over and over again, the Lord will be with you no matter what. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Everywhere he goes, if we had time, we could just trace that through, the, through Genesis 37 all the way to chapter 50 when he dies and goes to be with the Lord. That whole stretch, I mean, God just shows up in his life over and over. Even when Joseph wasn't sure that he was there, God was there and it worked. We have the benefit, the blessing of seeing the, the whole story from beginning to end. And we just need faith to believe that what was true of his story is going to be true of your story and my story. Because God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He'll be with us just as he was with Joseph. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. And I just want to say, you know, if you've never given your life to Jesus, this morning is a perfect opportunity to do that. He loves you more than you comprehend. He cares more about, I mean, if he would die on the cross as he did, uh, he cares about you more than you grasp. Because I would dare say probably none of us is eager to die on a cross for anybody else that we know, even those we really care about. But Jesus did it. He did it for you. He did it because he, he wants you to know the extent to which you matter to him right now, and you always do. In your worst moments, you matter to him. And so this... Uh, this morning, just open your heart to him and just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to Joseph.
Help me to see your faithfulness and your working in my life, in my heart. Here I am. Cleanse me. Make me yours. I give myself to you. I want you to be the center of my life. If you'll approach him in that way, I can promise you, our God will hear from heaven and he'll bring healing to your soul and cleansing to your spirit. Let's uh, bow our heads. We're going to pray and then uh, hope you'll read Genesis 37 to 50 in the days ahead. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that we learned in the life of Joseph. Honestly, we read that and we just think, how did he do that? We know that he could not have done it apart from your presence. So we thank you for your faithfulness to him and we invite you to be present in our lives more fully and help us to walk in faithfulness like he did. Give us courage, give us strength, give us determination, give us an unyielding, never quit. I'm following God to the bitter end kind of spirit because the end is not bitter. The end is reward and inheritance and eternal life with you and is the forgiveness of sins and it is hope everlasting. Remind us of those things, Father. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, may we walk in the power of your spirit and the love of Christ. And may we accomplish the things you've called us to do this week. Go with us in the name of Jesus. We lift this prayer. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. Bless you all.